right, please turn into your Bibles, Acts chapter 21. Acts 21, verse, starting with verse 37, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. Acts chapter 21, verse 37. Everybody loves a good story. It said, we are, as a species, addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night just telling itself stories. A, a good story captures the imagination. It stirs our emotions. It, it draws us in by the, the, the character development and the, the drama that unfolds. It's why we get lost in a good book, devour TV series, why there's staying power with the, the great movies. We love good stories. It's the reason why our attention is often so captured when someone says those magical words, I, I have a story to tell you. We love good stories. And Christian, God has given you a story. And in one way, your story is unique. It is personal. And yet, in another very real way, your story is like every other Christian story because it is part of God's story. The Bible is a story. If you've been here for any amount of time, that's not a, a new idea. Maybe you are new uh, to Grace Bible Church. Maybe thinking about the, the Bible being a story is, is maybe a bit new. The story of the Bible can be summarized as God's story of redemption, or to summarize it in a sentence, the Bible tells us the story of the universe, where God, the creator king, glorifies himself through redeeming and restoring his fallen, creature, uh, fallen creation, most notably his rebellious people, by fulfilling his covenant promises and commands in Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus, if you love Jesus, God has given you a story, but not only that, he has made you a part of his story. The question for us is, do we see our story that way? Do you see that since your story is ultimately a part of his greater story, that even in your story, God is the main character? Brothers and sisters in Christ, God has given you a story, and he's given you a story to share. I, I rather like that language of story. I think oftentimes we, we traffic in the language of testimony, but you know, as soon as that word comes up, some people can get a little angsty, right? Is, what, what do we mean by testimony? How, how is that done? Maybe I, I don't have a, a good one, but whatever you call it, when we share it, we must be intentional and explicit with making God at the center of it. Ultimately, our story is wrapped up in his story. Family, God gave you a story, and in Acts chapter 22, verses 3 through 21, we are provided three essential elements that enable people to see Jesus through our story. Now, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a disciple of Jesus for, for decades, we all can grow in, in sharing our story better, sharing our story in such a way that people can see Jesus through our stories. So here's how we're going to approach things. We're going to work through an overview of our passage 
which is Acts chapter 21, verse 37, through Acts 22, 29. And we're going to kind of fly over 3 through 21, because at the end, we're going to come back to that section, and we're going to see these three essential elements. All right, so let's start off Acts chapter 21, verses 37 through 40. I'll read it. Follow along. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Christian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicily, a citizen of no obscure city. I, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, and we'll stop there, cliffhanger. So we're dropping into the middle of a situation, so that begs us to have some background. So Paul recently had returned to Jerusalem, where he had found himself to be a controversial figure with many of the Jewish community. The unbelieving Jews thought that Paul, they perceived Paul to be saying that Folks should just disregard the Mosaic law. And so they were just angry at Paul. And then many of the believing Jews, they were just confused by Paul's teaching. Paul found himself to be a controversial figure amongst many of his Jewish brethren. Well, a group of unbelieving Jews falsely accused Paul of wrongdoing. And we read this in Acts 21, 28 through 29. I've got it on the screens for us. Men of Israel, help! This is the man, speaking of Paul, who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place, the the temple. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And and that's because they, this group of unbelieving Jews, had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with Paul in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Well, this false accusation, it stirred up a mob against Paul, whose attention was actually to see Paul killed, executed on the spot for his perceived crime. Well, news of the mob's chaos quickly got to the Roman tribune, who is a commander of the Roman army. And so the tribune, he he brings his troops, and he immediately stops all the chaos by arresting Paul, the guy at the center of everything. All right, well, this brings us back to our passage. So as the tribune is taking Paul away, Paul asks if he can address the mob. Paul's heart is desperately for these people, his his Jewish kinsmen. He, He desperately wants them to come to see Jesus as their Messiah. Well, the tribune is skeptical of Paul, He believes Paul to be this uh, Egyptian fellow who about three years prior to this account had uh, tried to have a a coup, a revolt of uh, of the Roman Empire there, and he had gathered about 4,000 men. Well, the revolt didn't work. Many of them died, but the Egyptian leader, he escaped. And so the tribune, the, the commander, believes that Paul is this guy. Well, seemingly through Paul's unaccident and proficient Greek Uh, He convinces the tribune otherwise, uh, and in fact, he is able to address the crowd. All right, let's pick back up the account, chapter 22. I'm going to read just the verse, two verses. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. 
And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, now Paul's there. Suspense. It's, that's a good strategy. Paul affectionately addresses the crowd. Brothers. Fathers. This is the crowd who was just the mob who wanted to kill him. Don't you see Paul's heart for his kinsmen? Now, Acts 22, verses 3 through 21 is what we're going to zero in on in a few minutes. So we're not going to read it now. We're not going to cover it in great detail now. We're going to do that in a minute. But just a, just a brief word on Paul's argument, his defense here. His defense has three purposes. One, Paul wants to show his fellow kinsmen that he does have loyalty to his Jewish heritage. What's more, Paul wants to convince them that his teaching about Jesus, that he is the fulfillment of the prophesied Jewish Messiah, is, is actually in continuity with the Jewish heritage. Second, Paul wants them to know that his conversion is not just something that he made up, but it is the result of God's sovereign grace through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And then third, Paul wants to make clear that his Gentile-specific mission was given to him by the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. All right, well, we're going to come back. We'll address these verses in detail in just a minute. So let's, let's move on, though. Let's pick them up in just a second. So let's go. This is verse 22, chapter 22. Verse 22, chapter 22. All right, follow along here as I read. Up to this word, they, the, the, the Jewish crowd, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I, I bought this, my citizenship, for a large sum. Well, Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Well, the reaction to hearing Paul's uh, testimony was uh, unfavorable. Luke, the writer of Acts, gives the impression that, that upon, he gives the impression that the, 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 the unbelieving Jewish audience in the crowd, upon hearing that Paul suggested that Gentiles would also receive God's blessing through the gospel, they had enough. That was it. They were back on their original intention that, that Paul should be executed. Well, with, with the chaos starting to, to come to a high-pitched fervor again, uh, the Roman tribune says, that's it, we're taking Paul away, uh, finally. And so they do, but assuming that Paul must have done something nefarious to have outraged the crowd, 
The commander orders that Paul be examined under torture. And then what we read of the rest of this account is best described as God's kind providential protection of Paul. Paul stretched out, about to be flogged, about to be tortured, starts to push back against the the centurion with the whip. Ultimately, this is a push back against the tribune. It's a confrontation that it's not lawful for him to be tortured because he's a Roman citizen. It's, It's unlawful without him first being tried. And so with that, the soldiers stop and Paul is spared from the torture. All right, there's the overview. There's the overview. Let's go back, though, and zero in on verses 3 through 21. Again, this is Paul's defense, but it is presented through his story, his testimony. He he is defending himself. I mean, maybe we would have thought of Paul having defended himself through, through great theological teachings or high flutin examinations, but he shares his testimony. He shares his story as his defense. Now, by way of application for us, as we walk through this and we see Paul's story, this is where we're going to see three essential elements that enable people to see Jesus through our stories. All right, so the first element that enables people to see Jesus through your story is recount your life before Jesus. This is seen in verses three through five. So follow along as I read these verses. Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Oh, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. For them, I received letters to the brothers. And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So as his defense, Paul shares a story of his old life before he met Jesus. And it's interesting, with this Jewish audience in mind, Paul is very strategic, very strategic in what he specifically brings up about his story Take, take note here, and as we work through this story, the way Paul brings up and emphasizes his Jewish credentials, his Jewish connections like Gamaliel and Ananias, and his reverence toward his Jewish heritage. In fact, what's really interesting, just to make this clear, Paul crafts his testimony here very differently than how he will craft his testimony later in Acts 26 when he testifies to his conversion to King Agrippa. I think a simple principle that we might glean here is that we too, we too should consider our audience as we think about sharing our story. This isn't making stuff up. Like Paul, it's being sensitive to the audience by considering specifics in our story that can be emphasized or or maybe glossed over, that might make our story and Jesus' involvement in our story more compelling or maybe even more appropriate, depending on the audience we're sharing with. Well, Paul shares about his life before Jesus. There's, there's massive changes, 
And some things aren't changes. He, he just tells facts about who he is. He, he mentions that he's a, an ethnic Jew. He's mentioned that he was born in Tarsus. That's why he's a Roman citizen. He mentions that, that he was also, though, in fact, brought up in Jerusalem. He was educated by Gamaliel, who was a member of the Sanhedrin and one of the most prominent Jewish teachers of the day. In other words, he got a great education in being a Pharisee. Paul is trying to make clear that he's one of them, just like the audience he's speaking to. And in fact, he's also trying to say, I've outdone you in every particular of my Jewish pedigree. Indeed, since he's an expert of the law, not like many of them, I think there's also a suggestion of, let's be a little careful with the charges you're making about me and my teaching. I know more than you. Well, finally, Paul expresses that before Jesus, like those in the crowd, he too violently persecuted Christians. Now, many of them would have known that, but maybe some wouldn't. And so he says, hey, this fact can be corroborated by the high priest and the whole council of elders too. I did these things. In crafting his testimony to his audience, Paul is trying to show them that in his former life before Jesus saved him, he could relate to them. And in some ways, he far out surpassed them. Let's pause and let's think about our stories. Like Paul, in your story, you should recount your life before Jesus. In your story, you, you should give the background. Some of those things are going to be unchanging. Just who you are, where you were born, the type of family you were born into, where you went to school, these type of, that's just unchanging. But, but give some background. Give, give some background, your religious background, your moral background. Give background to how, before you met Jesus, how did you think about Christianity? How did you think about Christians? How did you think about the gospel? How did you think about Jesus, maybe you were indifferent to those things. Maybe you were inwardly hostile to those things. I'm guessing, unlike Paul, you weren't, you weren't persecuting Christians, but, but, but maybe you were inwardly hostile to these things. Share those things. Now, some of you were saved at a, a young age, and so this portion of your story may be short. That's okay. You still have things to share. There are still true things, theologically true things about you that are true for everybody that you should say and be specific about. You were, you were born into sin. You were born with a sin nature. We don't want to unintentionally give the impression that like youngsters are sinless. Jesus just happens to save me for no reason. You too were a sinner, even if that part of your story is short. And don't minimize sin. It may not be as egregious as, as others might think, but we still highlight the, the sin that was in your life and where it reigned in your life. Disobeying your parents, getting in fights with siblings, lying, these type of things. All sin, even if it's small, is an affront to holy God. Now, for those of us who have uh, maybe a bit more of a story before Jesus saved us, we need to be careful to not unintentionally celebrate or glamorize the sinful things we did. Our approach should have a sober transparency about our lostness before Jesus. For everyone, and this is important, we need to make God clear in our stories. 
We need to make him clear working behind the scenes. Certainly before we were saved, we didn't see those things. We didn't see him involved, but we do now. And looking back with those eyes, we need to share that when we share our stories. Maybe this was God's kindness that you were born with parents who were believers. Maybe you were born with grandparents who were believers. It's God's kindness that maybe now in hindsight you can see that he put certain people in your lives. Maybe it's in hindsight you can see that some of your foolishness that should have gone way worse didn't because of God. As God would have it, I was born with parents who were believers. Uh, We regularly uh, were part of local churches, was regularly involved with youth ministry, was, I think, generally perceived outwardly as as a good kid, inwardly going through the motions, was fairly indifferent to the things that were going on as it pertained to Jesus and and the church, just fun activities that we did. It it got worse as I got older in high school. Uh, Again, probably outwardly would have been perceived as a pretty, pretty pretty good dude, but lied, cheated, self absorbed, loved me some me. In college, got worse. I would continue to rebel now even more outwardly, especially as I, I continue to move away farther from home. I, I can, though I can look back and see that uh, some of these points I bring up, it's because I'm thinking about my own story. I can see some of the foolish things that I did that, that should have gone way worse, but, but God was protecting me from myself. I can look back and absolutely see not only only my parents, but just people, other people outside of family that God put into my life that I would have been pushing against, but who were in God's kind of trying to push me towards Jesus. Family, if we want people to see Jesus through our story, we need to recount our life before Jesus. You'll you'll show why you needed Jesus and then then set up the contrast for when Jesus saved you and then then what he's been doing in your life as well. All right, well, with that, the second element that enables people to see Jesus through your stories, proclaim your life because of Jesus. This is seen in verses 6 through 16. Follow along as I read. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven shone, suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. I'm going to pause there. So Paul, whose Hebrew name was Saul, is on his way to Damascus to arrest followers of Jesus when suddenly out of nowhere there is a massively bright light that shines from heaven, so shockingly bright that Paul falls to the ground. 
And having arrested Paul's attention, a voice speaks to him, why are you persecuting me? Paul doesn't know who's speaking to him, so the voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, the official Jewish position on Jesus was that he was an imposter of whom his disciples stole his dead body, and it was they who started the rumor that he rose from the grave. And this is Paul's position as well. So can you imagine the astonishment on Paul's face when he sees Jesus alive? In a minute, in a minute, his whole world, his whole way of thinking had to change. In a minute, the imposter becomes his Lord and Savior. Well, Jesus, maybe ironically, Jesus still tells Paul to go to Damascus, but to now receive a new commission. Paul was on his way to Damascus in strong defiance of Jesus, but, but now he's on his way in submission to Jesus. All right, let's continue reading verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, and he wants to emphasize who this guy is to the crowd, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there, came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now remember, part of Paul's defense is to show that his teaching about Jesus was actually in continuity with the Jewish understanding, Jewish teaching, the Jewish heritage, Judaism. This is why he highlights what Ananias told him. Ananias said in verse 14, let's read it again. The, the, the God of our Jewish fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Now, this whole righteous one thing, the Jewish crowd would have known what Ananias was talking about. The, the righteous one, this is an allusion to Isaiah 53, 11, where the prophet Isaiah said, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The, the righteous one to whom Isaiah prophesied about and to whom Ananias is referring to is Jesus. Paul will be witnessing, uh, will be Jesus' witness, telling everyone what he saw and heard. Well, Paul has been arrested by Jesus, has by faith come to see him as the righteous one, and so proceeds to be baptized as an outward expression of that faith in Jesus. This baptism, it's symbolizing the washing away of sins that actually occurred when faith was placed, when he called upon the name of Jesus. All right, well, let's think about 
our stories. Like Paul and your story, you should also proclaim your life because of Jesus. In your story, you need to be explicit, explicit with how Jesus saved you. Now, in, in one way, theologically speaking, Jesus saves us all the same way. Right? It's most basic. We are all saved by grace, through faith, in him, Jesus, alone. That said, in another way, the, the way how Jesus reaches you is very unique and personal. The, the people and the circumstances, et cetera, that he uses, it, it's different for you than it was for me. And so we need to share those things. We need to share those types of specifics that Jesus used to reach you. Be specific. Be specific how Jesus did those things, about the people that he specifically brought into your life, or the circumstances that were, that were pitiful, that, uh, uh, that, that, were, um, uh, that were necessary uh, to him to use to save you. Pivotal. There was the word. Be specific. Be explicit with Jesus' activity behind it all. Share any particular thoughts or ideas that Jesus overcame when saving you. That's similar to like Paul. His whole worldview was, was just blown up when he saw Jesus alive. What, what were the things that were just blown up in your mind when, when Jesus saved you? Listen, be clear about when you truly heard the gospel, when it, when it finally made sense in a saving way. And when you responded to it, Hear me again, be clear on the gospel. That Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that Jesus rose victoriously from the grave. To the degree that us sharing our story is, is evangelistic, the gospel must be clear. Clearly communicate the gospel. Clearly communicate you trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and that you've committed your life to following him, that he's your savior and Lord. It was in college that God uh, used a, a few faithful guys to, that, that I had befriended, and not because I was wanting to for this to happen, but God was, and God would use a, a, a group of a few faithful guys to, to push back against my sin and to consistently and faithfully preach the gospel to me. I'd heard the gospel. This wasn't new, but this was now when God would be pleased to save me. And, and through this faithful group of guys, he gave me a new heart. He opened my eyes to see Jesus, not, not as just a, a thing to study or, or an object to manipulate so other people might think well of me, but as my Savior, as my, my Lord. And it was here where there was a genuine desire I think before growing up, I was maybe good with him being the idea of Savior, forgiveness of sins, great. Certainly didn't want to submit to him as Lord. But, but now, now, 
very imperfectly, still very imperfectly, there's this desire that I wanted to submit to him and follow him and obey him. It's because he saved me. He saved me. I, I saw the gospel. I, I saw that Jesus had lived a life I couldn't live, that he died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose, he rose, confirming his life and his death as being sufficient and effective to forgive me and save me. Man, if you want people to see Jesus through your story, proclaim your life because of Jesus. This part of your story must ring triumphant with the good news of Jesus saving you. You were dead, but God saved you. Well, Paul's story doesn't stop there. Neither does ours. The third and final element that enables people to see Jesus through your story is describe your life with Jesus. This scene in verses 17 through 21, follow along as I read them. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul concludes his, his story by uh, recounting of a vision that he had of Jesus in a temple. This part of Paul's story doesn't appear in Luke's account of Paul's conversion in Acts 9, nor does Paul mention it in his testimony to King Agrippa in uh, Acts 26. It seems that, again, his audience in view, Paul strategically includes that he went to the temple to pray in order to push back against the charge that he had defiled or thought less of the temple. Nothing could be further from the truth for Paul. In these verses, we also broadly see what Jesus is continuing to do in Paul's life. Jesus is caring for Paul. He is protecting Paul. He is guiding Paul. He is giving Paul wisdom. He is reaffirming his mission to the Gentiles. Let's think about our stories. Like Paul, in your story, you should also describe your life with Jesus. It seems to be um, uh, an underappreciated aspect when we share our, our stories. But, but we need to let people know <laughs> what, what they actually already know to be true about us, and that is when, when Jesus saved us, we didn't automatically become perfect. People know that. It's okay to share that and to share how Jesus is then changing you. We, we still sin. We are still in need of God's grace. Jesus certainly saves you how he finds you, but he does not leave you there. And we need to let folks know that. Initial salvation Initial salvation is just the beginning of what then becomes Jesus' mission to change you, to transform you more and more into his image for the rest of your life. 
Friends, sharing what Jesus, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, is doing in your life is, is a powerful witness to unbelievers. Some of the most compelling things that you will share, both to believers and unbelievers, some of the compelling things that you will share is what Jesus is actually doing to continue to change you. And in fact, that change is evidence that he saved you. Sharing what Jesus is doing in your life should also be an encouragement for for you personally and for other believers. To hear of Jesus' ongoing faithfulness and grace in your life is encouraging. As we share our victories, our struggles, our tears, and how God has faithfully grown and cared for us throughout it all, we're encouraging the body. Your story will always have a new chapter. That's, that's the theological truth of sanctification, this reality that Jesus, after saving you, is on a mission to change you and transform you more into his image. The fact is, is that you will always have a new chapter then. You always have a new story to tell of how Jesus is profoundly changing you. Amen. There should always be current stuff to share about what he's up to in your life. It may be subtle, certainly incremental, may not be as profound as it once was when you first got saved, but change nevertheless. Since Jesus saved me, there's been profound change. My, my story is very much that, very profound up front, and now just sort of a steadiness. Over the last couple of years, I've shared this before, but it's still something that, that, is, uh, that Jesus is working on in my life. Just over the last two-ish years, Jesus has really revealed through, through the body, through faithful friends, uh, my, my deficiencies in being gentle, gentleness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And there's been significant grace to see it, which is huge. Can't change what you don't see. So I'm thankful for just having eyes now to see it. But, but there, I, I, I've seen Slow change there as well, which has just been wildly encouraging. That's, that's evidence of Jesus being faithful and doing what he's promised to do in my life. This, this whole gentleness business, it, it manifests itself uh, with uh, being impatient at times with people, uh, being too blunt, uh, not, being, not being tender. Um, and uh, and by, by his grace, there, there's been change there. Not perfect. I'm, I'm not the, the spokesperson for gentleness, uh, but there should be change, friends. We, we need to describe our new life with Jesus and describe Jesus as he is, the faithful friend who unwaveringly walks with us. Indeed, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, he lives in us, empowering us towards change towards change in our loving, our thinking, and our acting to be more and more like him. Family, brothers and sisters in Christ, God gave you a story. It's a good story. What's great about your story is that people really can't argue against your story. It's your story about how God has saved you and is changing you. But it's a story that should be shared. God gave you that story. 
And what we've seen in this passage were three essential elements that enable people to see Jesus through your story. We want to recount, you want to recount your old life before Jesus, proclaim your new life because of Jesus, and describe your new life with Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, we need to let our our stories be windows where, where people can see through our stories and us to Jesus. We should strive to have our stories go beyond just facts and abstract theological ideas and said our stories should reveal biblical truths, but through the details of your life. We need to be intentional and work hard at being intentional at pointing to Jesus. If people walk away from our stories, believers or non-believers, and they are more aware of you than they are of Jesus, we've done it wrong. As you might recall, the theme for this Acts series is empowered proclamation that grows the church. That's what we're seeing here. Let's not, let's not overly celebrate Paul. Paul is a man indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You, believer, are indwelled with the same Holy Spirit. What we are seeing here is empowered proclamation that's growing the church. Now, what's interesting here is that it wasn't actually a favorable reception to his testimony, though. And what I want to tell you is that you, too, are empowered towards proclamation. You, too, are empowered with the Holy Spirit in you to share your story, to be faithful. There's graces to be faithful. You are going to be empowered to do that. And then let the, let, let the results be to God. I love the fact that this ends with, with, with it not working out in Paul's, uh, like his testimony. It didn't work out in a favorable response. That's good for us to see, is it? It's not going to always work out well for us either. People aren't going to always respond in hallelujah and amens. That's okay. That's not our business. We're in sales, not management. Just share your story. Leave the results to God. There's grace, friends, to do this. Maybe you're here, maybe you're online and you're joining us. We've talked an awful lot about sharing story, talking about Jesus saving, and maybe you find yourself here this morning, maybe you find yourself online joining us, and you've come to the determination here that this is new stuff. I want to tell you that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And today's the day to respond. When you hear the gospel, it demands a response. There's no neutral position. We're either trusting and submitting to Jesus as our Savior and Lord, or, or we, are, we are moving away from him. And today's the day, friends. If you have not submitted, if you have not trusted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to sweetly and tenderly commend Jesus to you. He loves you, his grace to save you, and grace to transform you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your grace in preserving it, Father, so that we could be instructed through your faithful servant, Paul, in just some ways to think about how we can intentionally craft our stories as we share them as both maybe 
in evangelistic ways to unbelievers, but also in ways to just encourage the body, but, but uh, to do it in such a way that point to Jesus, that give glory to you. We need your help to do this. These things can be tempting things, fearful things for many of us to, to share our story. And so uh, we want to confess that and we want to plead for more of your grace to be faithful, to not, to not get worried about outcomes, to entrust that to you, but just by your grace through the empowering Holy Spirit, just be faithful, share our stories in, in ways that it is clear. There is no doubt that Jesus, Jesus is our Lord, Savior, friend. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.